from the Epistle to the Philippians. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning and Happy New Year. You might not know this, but this is also, uh, January 1st also marks the Feast of the Holy Name, or as it used to be called, the Feast of the Circumcision. Now you might, you know, your guess is as good to mine as mine as uh, why that name might have been changed in the 79 prayer book, because that's, you know, might be an awkward greeting for this morning for everyone else. Uh, but, but in Jewish culture, they actually meant somewhat of the same thing, the Feast of the Holy Name and the Feast of Circumcision, and here's why. In the traditional uh, Judaism, in traditional Judaism, the naming of the child took place on the eighth day after they were born. Uh, it took place on the eighth day because that was also the day that they were circumcised and brought into the Abrahamic covenant. And so if you're counting, right, you, I did the math a few times on my fingers, between the 25th and today is eight full days, the day that Jesus would have been given his name. Until then, the chosen name was kept a secret as it was sacred and considered to be prophetic. And in this particular instance, the naming of Jesus, both of those things are true. The name of Jesus, as we'll see today, is both sacred and prophetic. And so there's three points I want to bring up today as we discuss this, the Feast of the Holy Name. Uh, point number one, we're going to look at what's in a name. Point two is going to be the name of Jesus. And point three is going to be the name above all names. So, what's in a name? The name of Jesus and the name above all names. Let's dive in. Point number one, what's in a name? I'm going to spend a little bit of time here because one of the things that I think that we've largely discarded culturally is the long-standing belief that names are laden with meaning. I remember uh, most people my age, and, and yes, I'm, I'm very gray, but also very young, um, we're, 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 you know, most people my age, when you're choosing names for your child, there's, there's a, a new process by which, which that's done. You Google trendy names, right, like what's popular. You find something that sounds good to you that, so you've you got to like the sound of it. You have to not have a personal enmity with like a middle school friend who has that name. And you also have to have never dated somebody with the same name, right? Those are kind of the three deciding factors in choosing a name these days. And then you kind of put maybe your own twist on the spelling of that name so that you can be unique. You know, everybody else might have the name, but yours is the only one with the silent X, right? And so, and so that's kind of the way that naming is done these days, but it didn't always used to be that way. Not too long ago, the, the importance of naming was, was much deeper than that. Lo, not too long ago, when you were choosing a name, you, you chose a name in regard to your culture. You, you picked a name based on the meaning of the name. Maybe your family history, it's a family name. There's other people that bore the name before you. Maybe there's people in history who accomplished significant things and bore that name as well. And there may also be a sense of the prophetic, that as you're naming your child, that's how it used to be, you would pray to God that they would live into the name that they were given, that there'd be some gift or blessing bestowed on them for that. And what, what's, what's interesting is we found, on a very surface level, that names have a lot more uh, power than people realize. There's a psychology professor, uh, Brett Pelham, and he did a study, and what he found was that our names could have a subconscious influence on the three biggest decisions that most people make. What career to pursue, where to live, 
and who to marry. And this is what we found. People named Dennis or Denise are more likely than others to become dentists. I'm not making this up. Lawrence and Lori are more likely than other people to become lawyers. If your name is George or Georgina, guess where you are more likely to move? Georgia. Lewis and Louise are more likely, I'm not making this up, it sounds ridiculous. Lewis and Louise are more likely to move to Louisiana or St. Louis. And people are slightly, slightly more likely to marry someone with a similar name, even if it's just the first initial or vowel sound. Isn't that interesting? So names can have the power to influence even slightly some of our biggest life choices. But the biblical idea of the importance of names goes even several layers deeper. It's even more profound. In Scripture, the process of naming is prophetic. Here's the scriptural idea of naming. It's recognizing the essential nature of a person or place and drawing it out. We traditionally think of names as imposing labels on things. But the biblical idea is you actually see a thing for what it was created to be, its essential nature, and you draw that out, and that's what you call it. You see this in the subtext of Adam naming the animals in Genesis, right? You remember that was one of Adam's initial jobs was God said, you name the creatures. And what we see in our text is that he's actually discerning what their essential nature is, what their purpose, what their function, what their being is, and drawing that out and labeling them accordingly. God names people the same way. Adam himself was named by God Adama, meaning son of the red earth, right? Uh, Eve, Eve's name means life because she was the mother of all living. They were named according to their essential nature. There's also this, this text in Revelation, uh, Revelation 2.17 that's always fascinated me because it's very mysterious, but there's this idea in that text that you and I also have an essential name given to us by God according to our nature that only He knows inscribed on a white stone, and it will be revealed to us when we are with Him. So God names according to essential nature, which brings us to our second point, the name of Jesus. Do you all remember, I mean, we just heard this story multiple times in this, in this past season. Who was it that gave Jesus His name? Who provided the name of Jesus? Was it Mary and Joseph? Did they do a quick Google search and, you know, see what's trending? No, that's not what happened. We heard it in our text today, right? The name of Jesus was a name that was chosen by God and communicated through the angel Gabriel. You shall call his name Jesus, is what Gabriel said. God was pretty direct. Well, why is that? What's the significance of the name of Jesus? What's essential about his nature that we can find in the name of Jesus? Well, Gabriel explains in the same section. He says, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. The Lord saves, or the Lord is salvation. Jesus in Greek, Yeshua in Hebrew, Joshua in English. The Lord saves, the Lord is salvation. Now, that not, might not surprise us that that's so central to who Jesus is. After all, our culture has been steeped in this for, for centuries. We know that God saves. But I want you to put yourselves in the shoes of the people in the ancient world for just a second. You all had to read the Iliad like I did growing up, right? In the Odyssey, right? Were, were those gods gods who saved for the good of people? 
No, they were violent and arbitrary and capricious. You come across Ares or Athena on a battlefield, they're not doing things for your sake, they're doing it for theirs, and you better watch out. And Zeus's idea of love, well, let's just say it was non-consensual, right? They, they, weren't, they weren't out for us. There was no, the, the idea that God saves people would have been ridiculous. Why? But for Mary and Joseph, who were receiving this message, they had a very different understanding of God. They were Jews. They already believed in a God that cared for them. Right? Who saved them from Pharaoh? Well, it was God. Who saved them from the predations of the Philistines and from wandering the desert? It was God. God saved. They knew that. But they also knew that God judges. God heals. God creates. God destroys. God saves. There's a lot of aspects to, to, God, to God, right? To His actions that He does for people. Would you agree? They knew that. But what would have been shocking about this message to them is not that God saves, but that in naming God's Son Jesus, it reveals that the salvation of God is not only an act that He does, but is His essential nature. That's a big difference. Salvation is not just an act that God does for us, but is essential to His nature. It is who God is. The Lord is salvation. You know, in um, I think it was middle school, we were introduced as kids to Aesop's Fables. Does that ring a bell with any of you who know Aesop's Fables? Do you remember the story of the scorpion and the frog? For whatever reason, this one stuck with me. Um, there was, in this fable, there's, there's a scorpion, and I'm going I'm to, this is exactly how he wrote it, right? So, so this is none of my own language. Um, there's a frog hanging out by a river, and uh, a scorpion comes up and wants to get across, and, and the scorpion says, I'll jump on your back, and you know, you can carry me across, and wouldn't that be wonderful? And the frog says, well, hold on you're a scorpion, you're going to sting me, and I'm going to die. So how about we don't do that? And the scorpion says, no, like, yeah, I'm a scorpion, but I have to get across that river. Also, uh, if I sting you, I can't swim. You'll drown, I'll drown, we'll both die. It's going to be terrible. So how about you just trust me? Get on, let me get on your back. I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to go across the river and everything's going to be fine. And the frog says, yeah, well, I guess if, you know, I guess that's true. You, you might die too, so jump on. And they get going across the river, and halfway across the river, what happens? Well, the scorpion stings them. You know, and the frog's like, what the heck? Why would you do that? And the scorpion's response is, you know, it's according to my nature, essentially. It's who I am. It's, what, it, it, it's who I am. Despite the fact that it was not in the scorpion's best interest or self-interest, despite the fact that it would bring the scorpion to an early grave. Do you see the point? Jesus being named the Lord is salvation means that, that, that God being our Savior is essential to His nature, even when it seems to work against His best interest, even when it brings Him to the grave. That is who God has revealed Himself to be for us. Not an act that he does, but essential to who he is. Which brings us to our third point, the name above all names. You know, when you read the Bible, you'll notice that not only are, are people named according to their essential nature, but they may also be renamed in response to a change of self or circumstances. 
They can also be renamed in response to life-altering events. My wife and I have actually experienced this um, with my oldest son, Gabriel. You know, we had originally named him Augustine after the saint, because I figure with a name like that, he's bound to be nerdy. You know, he's bound to enjoy reading the same books that I read, and, and we're going to have great conversations, and, you know, he's going to go a little stray when he's young, you know, but then he'll, he'll, he's got to land on the right path with a name like Augustine. And so, you know, we tell our family. We didn't do the whole keep it secret thing till the eighth day. We didn't realize that was a thing. Um, but we told all of our family, my parents, my mom, who was very prepared, uh, made blankets with the name Augustine. I think we still might have those, and a stuffed animal with, like, bear with the name sewn on it. And so we were, we were dead certain on this name until the delivery room. And things started to go, um, started to go south. And we were um, transported from the, the birthing center that we were supposed to be and, and brought to the um, hospital. And uh, I remember standing near my wife's um, head and looking over her at the monitor. And, you know, the heartbeat drops off the monitor so you don't see it. And I remember nurses in gray coming in and standing at the foot of, of the bed, which I learned later was to revive the baby. You know, should the baby, you know, make it, then at least they can revive the baby. I remember panicked midwife, which is never a good sign. And it was, it was during that struggle that we had that my wife prophetically changed his name to Gabriel. God is my strength. And he was. And so there's this idea in the Bible of renaming according to life events that are, that are life-altering. We see it with um, Abram. When God renames him Abraham, he goes from being the exalted father to the father of many. We see it when Jesus calls Peter, and he says, you're, you know, Simon, your name's going to be called Peter because you're the rock on which I will build my church. Name changes follow life-altering, world-changing events. And so with that in mind, let's look at but back to our epistle in Philippians. After his death on the cross, Paul wrote that God exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above all names, so that at that name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what's this referring to? Well, in Jewish culture, there was one name that was so sacred that only priests, while in the temple, were allowed to speak it aloud. It was so sacred that when the scribes were, were copying Scripture and they came across that name, they stopped, did a ritual washing, changed pens, wrote the name, and then put that pen away so that it would never be used for any other purpose again. That's how sacred this name is. This is the name that was the personal name of God by which he revealed himself to Moses, Yahweh, meaning to be, or he who causes to exist. You won't see this name in translations of your Bible. All you'll see instead are capital letters, L-O-R-D, or in some translations, G-O-D. You won't see it written. And the argument that Paul is making is that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, he too has been revealed to be the Lord. And his name is now as sacred as God's revealed name. And what's significant about this is it wasn't that Jesus was some demigod like, you know, Hercules who earned his way to full divinity by his life and death for us. It isn't that um, Jesus was created out of nowhere and, 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 you know, came to be. It's that Jesus, who was always present, is now known to us personally by name, has revealed himself to us personally by name, 
and for some reason has given us the honor and privilege of knowing God on a first name basis. Isn't that something? And there's one final lesson about this name for us this morning, about this idea of namings. You know, it's not just that God has revealed Jesus to be his son. It's not just that we now have the privilege to know him by his personal name. But it's also that there is power in Jesus' name. And we have power and access to power through Jesus' name. One more thing about names we might have forgotten. Sacred names have power. You remember the folk tale of Rumpelstiltskin? Knowing the name, and this is, what, this is what names always meant. Names always meant that you had either power, if you knew somebody's sacred name, you had power over them, or you were freed from their thrall. That's what names meant. Names carried power, essential names carried power. Or you might remember the story of Jesus when he comes across the demon named Legion, and he calls out the demon's name. He pulls from him his name to have power over the demon. You all familiar with that story? Sends them into the pigs and they were off the cliff? pretty memorable. Sacred names have power. And the sacred name of Jesus that God reveals to us, once that name has been revealed, grants his followers power. And you see it all through Acts, and you see it in John. The name of Jesus grants us access to God in prayer. It grants us the ability to heal. It grants us the ability to cast out demons. And it grants us salvation. As we read in Acts 4, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. So a few things I'd like us to take away as we enter into this new year. The first of which is is remembering the incredible privilege that we have, that we, we know the God of the universe by name, that he allows us to pray for things in his name to use his name and to grasp onto that power that is found therein. And the second thing I'd like us to do as we go into this new year is to carry the name of Jesus as a banner that leads you into the new year. You know, there are times when we are so devastated that his name is all that we have. And yet that's sufficient for us because of the power that is in his name. And sometimes his name is the only thing that we can muster in prayer as we call on him. And yet the power in his name is sufficient for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you revealed your nature to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, who you sent to live and die uh, for us and for our salvation. God, I pray that we would not neglect the incredible privilege that we have in knowing you and that we would learn to lean further and further into the power of your name. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook. 